The Tablet Show, episode 68, with guest Ray Bango. Recorded live Thursday, January 17th, 2013. From thetabletshow.com, it's The Tablet Show. Conversations about developing software for tablets and other mobile devices with your hosts, Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. In this episode, Carl and Richard talk to Ray Bango about the state of JavaScript, i.e. tablets and Windows 8. This episode of The Tablet Show is sponsored by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much, and welcome back to The Tablet Show. It's Carl and Richard, and, uh, well... It's cold over here in yeah. Connecticut today. It's below freezing here, too, which doesn't happen all that often. Weird, weird, weird. Could be winter. Could be. Hey, let's get into Better Know Framework. <laughs> Everybody, what do you got? The shortest intro ever. <laughs> right into it. Let's do it. That's what I got. We got a lot to talk about today. Hey, so I went looking for something cool in JavaScript land. Nice. And I found a little script that will help you find spoof websites. So if you're concerned that the website you're on, the URL that's displayed, isn't the actual URL, you can do a little test. And if you go to tinyurl.com slash findspoof, at the bottom of the page, there's uh, some JavaScript for it. And it's essentially using uh, location.protocol slash slash location.hostname slash and then uh, location.href to double-check that against what's actually displayed in the bar. Interesting. Just being able to line all these things up so that if you're being fooled, you know, you at least have a chance. Yep. So they put it in a little JavaScript alert for you. So, who's talking to us, Richard? I grabbed a comment off of show 59. This is the one we did on the road trip with Kate Gregory, talking about programming Windows 8 with C++. And if you recall, there was a big discussion on AMP. Yeah. Right, the parallel processing library. And oh, how things have changed since then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've learned some interesting stuff, haven't we? We have. Uh, Thomas Betts, which I think it's fair to call Thomas a super fan. He is a super fan. Absolutely. Thomas Betts, one of our super fans, wrote a comment and he says, as an audience member asked in, about Visual Studio 2012 being required to develop the new and shiny C++, but do all the new features require Win8 for deployment? I'm just saying that since they compile as native binaries, does that mean that there are not dependencies on the operating system? Since it will be a while before companies adopt Win8 in the enterprise, and there can be slow adoption in the latest versions of the .NET framework. After all, we're still targeting 3.5 SP1. That's mm -hmm. a shame. I'm wondering if AMP or some of the other goodness would be available on the Win7 platform. Uh, Mr. Betts, yes. <laughs> so it turns out AMP, because it does compile to native, has no dependency on the .NET framework at all mm. and will run on both Win7 and Server 2008 R2. Well, I think the story is um, Visual Studio, and correct me if I'm wrong, Ray, he's here waiting in the shadows, but I believe that uh, Studio 2012 will run in desktop mode on Windows 8 or Windows 7. The yep. only thing that you can't do in Windows 7 or in desktop mode Windows 8, is build a uh, Windows Store app. Am I right, Ray? I believe that's correct. Yeah. So, Thomas, a rare and precious Tablet Show mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a Tablet Show mug, just write a comment on the website at donairocks.com. And with that, let me formally introduce Ray. 
to the Tablet Show. He's been uh, a guest on .NET Rocks. Ray focuses on building awareness to standards-based web development and helping Microsoft meet the needs of web developers. He's a former member of the jQuery JavaScript project team, an advocate for the open web, and a fanatic of JavaScript in HTML5. Welcome back, Ray, or welcome hey. to the Tablet Show, anyway. Uh Thank you for having me. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I really feel bad for you guys being so cold. It's 78 degrees here in Florida. You know, we went to Florida on the road trip and probably arguably had the best weather of the entire three months stay huh? in Clearwater. It's beautiful wow. down there. Clearwater's nice. Yeah. Clearwater's nice. It's not, it's not South Florida. South Florida's really nice. But, you know, I grew up in Miami and that's, that, that's, that's a happening place, obviously. And then now I live a little bit further north and around the Boca Raton area. So I've settled down as I've gotten a little bit older. You know what I really love about Florida? A lot of people say the weather, you know, the food or whatever. It's the JavaScript that I like. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. How's the yeah. JavaScript down there? Is it, is it any better? Because I'll travel. You know, the JavaScript's pretty good. We, you know, we add a little Latin flavor to it and everything, yeah. and it's just done pretty good. So, you know, I don't know. We sprinkle some mojito on it, and, you yeah. know, all hell breaks it's loose. mellowed with chicory. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's all the Cuban coffee that people drink down here. Yeah. You know? Didn't we get some local whiskey from one of the folks when we were in... Uh... We did, and it turns out they sell that in my local store as Do they well. really yeah that's that's funny but it and wasn't it sweetened or flavored or something it was a little sweet yeah it's like a bourbon ray that's a, a florida whiskey i had no idea i've seen i just read an article about uh people making scotch like single malt whiskey in texas yeah of all places and winning awards so yeah <laughs> wow. the world has gone mad it's just crazy talk Everything's being turned upside down. We have no respect for geographical boundaries anymore. <laughs> no, no. You know, all I all I knew is we made great oranges. And you have great JavaScript. Oh god. <laughs> so tell us about the great JavaScript of Florida. What is JavaScript doing these days? Oh geez. Well, JavaScript's going crazy. It's it looks like a lot of developers are really, really excited about JavaScript and uh, you know, the just apart from the front end stuff, which which obviously has blown up in the last several years, that's sure. The server side stuff that's going on with Node.js is amazing, and there's there's so many uh, so many companies actually s seriously looking at Node. I mean, look, Microsoft's making a pretty big investment in in getting Node up and running on Azure and mm. uh, promoting that. So it, it it really paints an interesting picture where you can take a single language and manage it both on the client side and the server side. Are you a TypeScript fan? Speaking of uh, going where no JavaScript has gone before. I am. I actually, I think TypeScript is cool. And, and the reason I like it is because it doesn't take you outside of JavaScript. It doesn't force you to use, learn a new, uh, let's say, domain-specific language. You're basically still using JavaScript and you're, uh, for all intents and purposes, you're, you're emulating, um, you're, you're coding towards like an ES6 type of standard, which is really neat. Yeah. And an ES6 is what, what does that mean? Just typed? Oh, I, uh, well, it's it's new features that are in ECMAScript 6 that you okay. can start leveraging within TypeScript. And then what it does is it basically compiles it down to ECMAScript 5 and it actually makes it somewhat, you know, makes it more compatible. Because yeah. ES6 hasn't been ratified or anything yet. Has anybody actually done an implementation? No, the TC39 group is, is still hashing that out and I'm glad they're doing it. I'm glad they're taking the time to really vet it and make sure that it's it's solid and that it's meeting the needs of developers. That's always the battle, isn't it? Like, do I go quickly because people want to use it and make mistakes or do I go slower and make sure we actually design something with no really big ouches in it? 
Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's certainly a battle. Yeah, read web sockets. <laughs> yeah, you know, you have a battle. It's and and you know any specification. It really doesn't matter. That's that's managed by community is always going to it's going to take a little bit longer because there's there's obviously very smart people that are doing their best to make sure that those standards go in the right direction. And you're going to have different interests too. You have very big corporations that want to make sure that they have a say in how these things go because whether it's Microsoft, Google, Mozilla, Adobe, um, whoever it might be, they, they want to make sure that that language will work great for their customers. And I get it. Do you see TypeScript becoming as big as JavaScript itself or even approaching or even 50% as popular as pure JavaScript? That's hard to say. It's still so new and right now yeah. and it's still kind of evolving that I couldn't tell you. You look at CoffeeScript and CoffeeScript is actually really uh, a really popular DSL. Yeah. So could TypeScript get as popular as CoffeeScript? I think so. Do you think the DSL is the way of the future? That JavaScript becomes the assembly language of computing for better, you know, will we have, a, will we have C Sharp as a DSL to JavaScript? No, I don't think so because if you look at what TypeScript does, it basically is just giving you the ability to work in ES6 now. Yeah. That's all they're doing. So will there be DSLs? Absolutely. You look at jQuery, what was jQuery? A DSL for JavaScript. Sure. And so will there always be some DSL out there that developers will use? Sure. And you know what? If it makes your life easier, use it. Uh, if you look at your job, and your job is to sit in front of a computer and figure out solutions to really complex problems. Yeah. Uh, for me as a developer, I want to try to make that as easy as possible. And if it means that I can use a library that's going to really make my, my job quicker and, I guess, easier, and also that the code is going to be uh, more stable, I'm happy to use the library. I mean, that's mm -hmm. what, for example, the .NET framework was all about. You know, it's standardized yeah. APIs and letting developers really target Windows in a in a stable and consistent fashion. So that's just my take on it. Yeah. And if you look at actually the node in the node world, it's funny because that's happening now. Now in the node where you're you're starting to see more frameworks. And I'm not I'm not a node node expert by any means. Mm. But I do keep, you know, the, I, I kind of keep a pulse on on that community. And you're starting to see more frameworks popping out and a lot of modules that are that you can actually use with the node that's yeah. just really solid standardized vetted vetted code. You did some. Uh, you did a survey recently about uh, what what technologies, what frameworks people are using yep. for front end development. Uh, can you share some of those numbers with us? Because I found it really fascinating. Oh well, let's see. Uh, the the obvious one, and I knew this would happen. Is just uh, is there's no doubt about this. jQuery is the most widely used JavaScript library right. in the world now. Yeah. So basically, like jQuery had like eighty nine percent of the poll results mm. and then followed by modernizer and which is really great because that mean that tells me that developers are taking feature detection really seriously or half of them anyway <laughs> <laughs> well um you know even if it's half i, I if it was 20 percent, I'd, I'd really be dismayed yeah well it's interesting the difference between jquery and modernizer modernizer 51 percent of the people responded said they use modernizer but 89 percent said jquery yeah, and if you look at it, and the reason is because jQuery really has normalized. Uh, it's normalized a lot of aspects of JavaScript and the DOM itself. Yeah. So that makes it incredibly powerful. Uh, there's always people who are going to say, don't use a framework, don't use a library. But not every developer out there wants to be that hardcore, I'm going to build everything from scratch type of person. Well, it just goes to tell you that it may be necessary now. I mean, 89%, holy man. Well, as as I think as the standards start getting ratified um, and there's more consistency across the browsers, 
then maybe that type of stuff goes away. Mm. But until and until I six, uh, seven, and eight kind of go by the wayside, and we can focus more on modern browsers, I think these libraries are still going to be incredibly useful. They do normalize things. It it just makes sense. Oh, you didn't hear the last IE six user died today. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Today's the day. That didn't really happen. It was just a fantasy on my part. There you go. But you know, then you look at other things like, uh, like obviously Git and Git's uh, Git's so pervasive. It's yeah. it's the version control system of choice for almost all developers. And then HTML5 boilerplate, Sublime, jQuery UI. So there's a lot of different tools that are incredibly popular. And then I found so many like tools that I'd never really heard of. These are like edge ones that I've like. Like, I don't know, like, I, I Font Awesome. <laughs> you know, I was like, okay, I've never heard of Font Awesome. What's interesting looking at this chart is that Knockout JS I thought was more popular than 9%. Yeah, it's, it, it and again, it, it depends on who you're targeting. I think, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, it, Knockout, I, and I haven't done any formal study on this, so I can't tell you if it's the case, but I, I know that Knockout being built by Steve Sanderson, and who's, you know, obviously a Microsoft employee. It might be very appealing to a Microsoft cl- crowd. So, for example, mm. if I put that out to a Microsoft developer community, it might just be uh, a 50 to 80% market share. Right. But because I'm so, still so new to Microsoft, only having been at Microsoft for two and a half years, yeah. I don't have a following of, let's say, an Elijah Manor or Scott Hanselman or a Pete Brown. Mm. Those guys are like, they're, they're like the John Resigs of, uh, of, you know, the Microsoft world. Yeah. Sure. So if they, I bet you, if they went out and said, Hey, what is your, you know, what are your favorite stuff? They're going to get total different results because sure. they have greater Microsoft presence. Yeah. And this, yeah. this was just on your blog, right? You just put up. That's a, right. Yeah. Yeah. You got to look at this and say, there is some selection bias here. I guess you're right. The type of folks that are going to, res- you know, see your blog and respond to it are more, I think would be more jQuery friendly. You know, Hanselman talks about dark matter developers. Mm. Yep. I think there's a whole lot of dark matter JavaScript development going on out there that's still going playing by the Netscape 2.11 handbook. Mm. <laughs> totally. And, and that is a very big thing because I do have a, because of the fact that I was on the jQuery team, I have a, a, a pretty big following of jQuery developers. Got it. So that's that's totally biased. But wait a minute now, could we make a crawler to figure this out? Because you know the the frameworks have links in the in the in the source. Well, there's a crawler already called Built With. Okay, and, and it's actually done that. So basically, right now, and let me see if I can pull out the page for you. Builtwith.com. Builtwith.com. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's it. So basically, if you look at the trends, right? Yeah, you look at the trends. jQuery really surpasses all the other ones out there. Yeah. Yeah, it is dominant. But then that's not a bad thing either. It just speaks to, you know, a more evolved web one way or the other. Yeah, it's, you know, the the, the way I look at it is that jQuery was just such an, it had such a nice, easy API to use mm-hmm. that it, it let developers build stuff very quickly. There are other frameworks out there that are just fantastic. And you look at MooTools and Dojo and even Prototype, which was the number one JavaScript library for a very long time. And they're all very nice JavaScript libraries. So it, you know how some things just take off. Yeah, you have there's no, you know, that's that's jQuery. Yeah, it could have been MooTools. It could have been Dojo. Uh, in fact, Dojo and Prototype were there way before uh, jQuery. Sure. Even even MooTools, it was I believe it was called MooFX before that. So 
it, it was just a matter of right place at the right time. John did a great job with the API, and the, the project really did have a great evangelism team. Mm. So, you know, and yeah, I'm kind of patting myself on the back because I was part of the event. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Where are you now that you're not with the jQuery team? I, I am not with any team at all. I've, I've decided that, um, you know, apart from, I was with the jQuery team for, I think, five years. Mm-hmm. And just my workload doesn't, doesn't permit me to spend the amount of time I need um, and to, to the project. It just doesn't. And there's so many other people, great people that have that time. Let them carry the torch. Sure. For me, the other part is that it it lets me explore other frameworks and libraries. Mm. Um, I've always I always felt conflicted, not because of anything anybody said on the project, but it was just my own personal conviction that if I'm on this project and I'm promoting jQuery, you know, it's it's it'd be hard for me to also just you know I don't know wave a flag for for something else. You know. Yeah. It's my own personal conviction. So now it gives me a lot more flexibility to test out all these different frameworks if I want to, um, explore different initiatives, see if jQuery is doing something good, and if it's doing something bad, I can actually go out there and talk to them and say, look, guys, you're not managing this the right way. Thankfully, the, the team is so responsive that you know I still have a great relationship with them. But uh, this, is, this is just a better spot for me right now. So hmm. I'm, I'm still not clear. What is that spot? Where are you working? I work at Microsoft. I know. But oh, okay. <laughs> do you have a title? <laughs> you just live in a closet somewhere and do what you want. Wait, wait, you just web guru? Oh no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm officially called the honey badger. The man, because nice. you just don't care, and, <laughs> and you eat just, snakes. Exactly. <laughs> what you say, Cobra? <laughs> so officially, I'm a developer evangelist, and um, my focus is pretty broad. I focus on uh, the web, I focus on Windows, uh, HTML5, CSS3, JavaScript. It's uh, I help out with Internet Explorer. There's a lot of stuff that I do. So it's not a single role responsibility, and I love it. I love it because it keeps me so involved in ev- so many different aspects of the company. Uh, I'll, you know, being able to, to work with the Windows team, let's say on Windows 8 and HTML5 apps, is, is awesome. And then being able to jump over, let's say, with the IE team and help them solve something is really, really cool. So I have... I really do have a cool job, and I have a lot of flexibility. You know, I mentioned on Twitter that you were coming on the show, and speaking of jumping around solving problems, one of the things that came up was about unifying touch support in browsers. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, can I we know. come up with an API that just works? Uh-huh. Uh, well, you know, the thing is that we submitted an API to the W3C. Oh, did you? Yeah. So, we, you know, the, our, our pointer API, we, we went ahead and submitted that to the W3C, and it's actually being vetted. So... That's it's up to the W3C now to for that committee to kind of push it forward and start, you know, doing their job on on vetting it and making sure the feature set is right and that the API is right. So, you know, it we're we're doing our part in that. We think that we have a really good touch API that allows not only for touch but also for mouse integration and mm-hmm. without having to have two different sets of APIs. And this is so, MS Pointer. That's correct. Okay. And and with the idea that if the committee supports it, we might actually see it in Chrome and Firefox and everywhere else that matters. That's the hope, yes. Uh, that would be cool. Yeah, so keeping our fingers crossed. And I think, I, and honestly, I do believe that other browser ma- makers want to get the same thing. I, I think they, um, they'd like to see a unified model if possible. This portion of the Tablet Show is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? 
I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems, all of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting the tablet show. One of the things I know that you're passionate about is uh, how to make plug-in free experiences, uh, you know, or take your existing websites and make them plug-in free. And you've even outlined uh, on your blog, anyway, how to do that, like some steps for going about it. Can you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. So right, everything's going plug-in free. Um, I don't. I don't like to bash Flash because honestly, I think Flash has been a great technology for pushing uh, media forward. No matter what anybody says, yeah, it has its quirks, but it's it's a piece of software, and it's it's just like any other piece of software. There there are going to be bugs. Yeah, people are going to find security exploits. That's a fact of life. It's it happens in every web browser. It happens in every OS. Those are just facts of life because as developers, we're not perfect. We do our best to come up with really great code, and, and the Flash developers are no different. But I think it's gotten to the point where uh, with HTML5, we're, we're soon going to not require a separate third-party plugin to give us a similar experience. We're not right. quite there yet because there's still other needs. Yes, we can render HTML5 video. We can render HTML5 audio. That's great. But there's more to audio, video especially, than just saying, let's just throw up a video and hope it works. Because when you're dealing with somebody like, let's say, Netflix or, um, uh, let's say, Amazon and their streaming service, mm. there, are, there, are, there are really important considerations, things like streaming and even digital rights protection yeah. that are important to them and important to their partners. Sure. That's not there yet. And, you know, the... And obviously, you know, any type of digital rights discussion is always a very contentious type of topic, but it's yeah. it, it's a fact of life. Sure. This is not thing. There's nothing you can do about it. The cool thing is that Microsoft is working with Google and Netflix and some other people to come up with a uh, kind of like a specification that they can submit that's going to tackle that in some fashion. There's it's still a work in progress, and and that's being done by the brainchilds in IE and the Google Chrome team and all these different groups. So I don't have anything specific to say about it, but the cool thing is it's actually being tackled. So when it's tackled, the need for a Flash plugin will go away. In the interim, you know you 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 have to decide what your audience needs, and if you can get away from Flash video then I would say get away from it. Use HTML5 video as much as possible and then use Flash video as a fallback. There's the, HTML5 video renders really nicely. I've, I've done demos on it. It renders really nicely. That Sure, there's you don't have that streaming capability, but the, it's there. And the fact that a site like YouTube can do it and Vimeo can do it, that's a testament to its power. It's sure. there. Can we address the core issue here, which is why are plugins bad? Sure. 
So it, it, this is my own personal opinion. It's not something that Microsoft goes and beats the drum on that. I mean, I, I think plugins are bad because they affect browser performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they cause instability. And I think that also they're uh, they're a security um, they're security uh, vector basically. Yeah, they're a malware vector without a doubt. Yeah. Doesn't JavaScript has have as much power and permission as a plugin? No, basically JavaScript is substantially more sandboxed, and it's actually incorporated into the browser. the the java The JavaScript runtimes are actually part of the browser themselves, while mm-hmm. plugin is a third party. The um, you know obviously Google uh, with their Chrome, they're embedding. Uh, flash into the browser, and so are we. Um, mm. And that's that's a, that at least that helps out in terms of adding a little bit more of a layer of protection. So, Flash has been a, a malware vector. The Flash plugin. Yeah. Oh yes, no. That's that's been known. That's why you 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 receive updates constantly. Not Flash itself. It's that there's implication. There's there's security things that happen with the code that mm. malware authors take advantage of. It's kind of like like Java. Think about the, the recent Java exploits. Yeah. Basically, if you have Java enabled in the browser, it, these, these malware authors, they go ahead and take advantage of little exploits that they found in the, the applet structure. I got it. So it's not that somebody's going to create a Flash script or a video that's going to do something bad. It's just it's the fact that, that, is, uh, that Flash is allowed to run and the conversation is allowed to be had with the third party that allows them to spoof it. Right. It's, it's not, it's not, I, I wouldn't say it's flash video, but then again, I'm, you know, here's the thing. I'm not a security expert. I just, I know what I read. Yeah. Sure. So when I read that flash, you know, somebody took advantage of a flash um, vulnerability. Right. That, you know, that can mean that they, they either did a drive by because you had flash installed or you ran a, you, you loaded up a movie and that movie, you know, took advantage of that vulnerability. And- yeah. yeah. But even the plugin model as a whole, fundamentally, you could social engineer getting people to install plugins onto their browsers that they shouldn't mm. that are badly behaved. And if you eliminate the plugin vector entirely, you cannot install plugins a la IE10 on the tablet side. That problem goes away. Right. 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 And it's and it's tough. It's, let me tell you, it's a tough situation for in some aspects, there are obviously legitimate plugins. I use LastPass, for example, extensively. I, you know, I think it's a great password manager. Um, but I know that these guys who create pub- plugins are really sharp, and they they're able to create workarounds. And so, for example, the LastPass guys created a workaround for IE10 on Windows 8. You know, mm-hmm. so it's there. And then it, for the desktop version, you can use the normal LastPass plugin. So. It, I I would prefer to surf without plugins. Right. As a developer, though, I can't say that I can totally get rid of plugins because I check. I, I work in every browser. If you look at my desktop, I have IE10, Chrome, Chrome Canary, Firefox, Opera, Opera Next, and Aurora. Wow. Huh. And I you know I need plugins because in Firefox I'm using Firebug. Even though they have new developer tools, I still like Firebug. Mm-hmm. In Chrome, I'm using Pendule, which is kind of lets me modify a- certain attributes of the page. Um, in op- in thankfully, Opera has Dragonfly, so I don't have to have a third-party extension for that. Mm-hmm. But you know, the the fact that I need these plugins, I need them because it makes life easier. And then, honestly, I I couldn't live without AdBlock. <laughs> I'm sorry. I hate I hate ads, man. I hate ads. I know. And that's a- we'll be right back. We have an ad to run here. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So, 
<laughs> no, I know. I know somebody's going to send me hate mail saying you are affecting my ability to earn a living. In uh, uh, you yeah. know, I, I get it. It's I know a necessary it. form of uh, it, yeah. It's it is, and I I sympathize. But from my perspective, if I can block them, I'm going to block them. From my perspective, if we can make them as painless as possible and as relevant for people as possible, that's that's all we can do. That's that. That's what the I think that's the silver bullet there. We can make them relevant and and uh, less painful. Not insulting, yeah. Exactly. A totally different question for you, and it's just a something that I've wondered, and it might be a stupid question for the listeners. I'm sorry for wasting your time. Is there ever a, a need to use a 64-bit browser? Why? Why do we have 64-bit browsers? Why do we need them? You know what? I'm not a good person to ask on that one. Richard, I, do you have, have you ever thought of this? Know, yeah, sure. I've never thought of that, actually. What's the story? Do I am I going to run more than four gigs of RAM in a browser? Well, I've met a few web pages, <laughs> but I think there's another side of this, which is that the plugin model generally doesn't work in 64-bit plugins aren't made over there. So it was actually a more secure browser back before browsers evolved and say, "Hey, we're going to make a totally non-plugin model." Right, but why though? I mean, other than other than that, which is kind of a lame side reason, effect. yeah, it's a side effect, right? Is there any website that requires a 64-bit browser? I certainly hope not. Yeah, I just it always puzzled me, you know. And also that I think, I'm not sure, but I think in Windows 7 the default IE was 64-bit. I don't know, it's just one of those things that always bugged me. Yeah, I don't I don't I that I don't know and it's funny you mentioned that because even like the uh, I have a a MacBook Air that I use to test a lot of stuff on and and it's funny because Chrome for the Mac is 32-bit. Yeah. While OS 10 is 64 bit, and um, I it, it's I I was testing out some stuff. I use Charles on the Mac for um, HTT debugging, and yeah. uh, it's a it's a Java based app. So I installed Java, and and I went to test. I just went to the Java test page to make sure that Java wasn't running within the context of the browser for security reasons. Mm. And when it the 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 message that came up was. Chrome is a 32-bit browser. Java 64-bit, so there's no way that it's going to run. And I was like, okay, great, perfect. Mm. So, yeah. Huh. So I and 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 uh, you know the pages on on Chrome on OS 10 render fine. I had a problem, so I used Java. Now I have a problem factory. Yes. Yeah. You know, a, a related issue to this has been the uh, incidents I've run into using my phone eight, where you go to a website that basically says, hey. This site was designed for WebKit. Go get a real browser. Oh, yeah. Don't you love that? Or even more explicitly, no IE allowed. Yeah, don't you love that? Yeah. It's interesting because I and this this is a real frustrating part for me. And it's, some people just say, oh, you work for Microsoft, so of course you're going to be frustrated. And I'm like, absolutely not. You know what? We, we've complained so long about IE6. Yep. We said, we want to be cross-browser. We want you to focus on standards. We want all this stuff, and we don't want to have to worry... And so what does the IE team do? They go out there and they do that. And they come out with IE10, and IE10 is a great standards-based browser. And all these sites that are, that, and I see, a lo- I see several of them that come out and say, we don't support IE. Well, a lot of those sites I've actually reached out to. And when I talk to them, they, they tell me, well, it's, they feel that it's, it's harder to support IE um, because of browser hacks. And when I ask them, have you actually tested out your site on IE10, a, a lot of them say no. Right. Because, you know, and obviously they're on a different platform, and that's fine. I get it. So I'll go through their site, and I'll test it for them. And the, 
uh, you know, in 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 ninety nine percent of the cases, their site works in IE with no changes. Right. The only time it won't work is when they're using WebKit only specific vendor prefixes, and that affects the UX in some fashion. Or if they're testing, you know, if this is IE, just don't even allow them in. Yeah. Yeah. We, we you know, that that was part of my role to go through and work with a lot of top sites. And help them understand that IE10 is a very different browser. It is not your 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 old IE6 and IE7 where you had to do all these browser hacks. It's not the, very different browser. Yeah. And um, it, you know, if if they took the time to say, all right, let's install Windows 8 and let's go ahead and test out IE10 to see how it looks, or even use BrowserStack.com, I think a lot of these developers would be surprised. I'd just like a switch inside of IE10 that would allow me to say, hey, you know what, I'm WebKit. Yeah, well, you can. You go, you just press ah. open the F twelve. You, you open the F twelve tools and change your user agent. Just change your user agent. Lie to them. This is this is honestly my when I debug a site that says, "Hey, your site is, you know can't work. You need Chrome, Safari, or Firefox." Right. The very first thing I do is I open up the F twelve tools. I change the user agent and I reload. You you would be you would be floored by the number of times sites just work. Right. I, I had to deal with an, a, a site earlier this week. Specifically with that, they said, you know, IE won't work. I pressed F12, changed the user agent, and guess what? The whole entire site came up and it worked beautifully. Right. Should we talk just briefly about what the F12 tools are? Sure. For those who've never used them. <laughs> okay, I'd love to. I, actually, it's it's good that you brought that up because uh, that's another thing that developers seem to have a very big misconception about. They, uh, I, I hear on on numerous occasions where developers say that IE doesn't have any debugging tools. Yeah, and that, I'm just like, okay, wait a minute, time out. And then I open up my laptop and I'll show. Have you not seen this? Boom! And I press F12, and they're yeah. like, oh, where'd that come from? Wait and, a minute, is that Chrome? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, they, there's two uh, comments I typically hear. One is that w- they didn't know that they had um, uh, that IE had developer tools, or that they're expecting it to be the old like IE. I think it's IE six or IE seven debugger toolbar. Remember that where you had to install third part like a, a separate plugin. And now it give you some debugging uh, capability. Yeah. So it wasn't integrated into the browser. So once I show them that, it's kind of like, oh, I didn't know that was there. And then they start going, th- you know, then they're able to see like, well, okay, you can do stop points. You can do, you know, obviously you can do breakpoints. You can do tracing. You can do, you can actually prettify your minified JavaScript. You can change your user agent. You can, um, uh, you can do network traffic analysis change your styles on the fly, all the things that developers have been asking for mm. and they're wanting. Ours, here's, here's the thing, and I, and I know that there's some developer tools. Like the Chrome Web Developer Tools are really, really awesome. I, I'm, I'm okay with admitting that. They're, you know, Chrome is, the Chrome team has really done a great job of that. Sure have. I think, I think that the IE developer tools are, are sufficient right now. And I'm hoping that in the next release, they come out and they're really kick-ass. Yeah. And I know that internally there's 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 a team that focuses on that and I I'm assuming that they're they're making that a priority. I hope they are. You yeah, know, me I, too. Have to, I have to I have to I haven't been to Redmond in a, in a little bit because of my knee and so I need to go over there and I'm going to hopefully circle the Raggins with them a little bit and and find out what what they've been up to but uh, you know I know that the that team is pretty passionate about developer tools and they want to make stuff work great. So I'm hoping they have a roadmap that's going to make it you know really kick ass. Is there anything we need to talk about specifically around IE10 on the tablet rather than just a regular Win8 desktop machine? 
Nothing that really stands out. I, yeah. I think you know you you have two different you know you obviously have the uh, the you have Internet Explorer which is on the Windows eight um, UI and then you have Internet Explorer desktop. Right. So you know the the key thing is that you know it's just no plugin support. And in on desktop, yeah, and it's also frustrating to me that you can you know bookmark something in the desktop and it's not doesn't show up on the the other view. There, are, there's definitely things that I wish they had. Like that's a great one. And favorite support and integrations were like that. That'd be awesome. Yeah, they do. They do share the same, obviously, the same Trident engine under the hood. But I, I would love to see that type of integration. That would be great. Clearly, this further to go. Oh yeah. Well, it, this is this is the first cut of Windows 8. Yeah, I'm really interested to see what Service Pack 1 of Windows 8 is going to look like. Yeah, yeah, me too actually. <laughs> so, this is the first cut. This is a big deal. This is a, a, new, a whole new UI for Windows users. And it's it, every you know, we're learning. Mm -hmm. We're learning, we're getting feedback. It's not only getting feedback about specific specific programs like Internet Explorer. It's getting feedback about the whole entire operating system. How does it affect your workflow? How does it affect um, your visual, uh, I guess, appearance? What are the things that are important to you? How are you using touch? How does how do you use touch even within the context of Internet Explorer? Sure. All those all that feedback's being taken in and and obviously the Windows team wants to make Windows 8 awesome and and make it a strong operating system for anybody, whether it's a consumer or developer or whatever it is. Is this a good time to uh, air my pet peeves about the media in Windows 8? Sure. I hear experienced people say that the desktop experience of Windows 8 without touch is subpar and it's you know disappointing and all this stuff. And, and it drives me effing crazy because it takes literally three minutes, five minutes, four minutes, if you watch that Hanselman video, to learn what you need to do on the desktop to get around in Windows 8 without touch. And it's easy. And it's hell of a lot more powerful than Windows 7. And it, it just drives me crazy to hear that perpetuated over and over again. And it's mostly by, you know, by the, by the more experienced Windows users. Do you know what I'm saying? That mm -hmm. they're the ones that are, that are saying it. And I've got plenty of Windows experience. Took me five minutes. I'm running it in a dual monitor setup in the studio, two big 30-inch monitors, and it just is probably the best operating system ever that I've ever used without touch. Yeah, change is really frustrating for some people. Yeah, I guess so. I don't, I don't diminish anybody's concerns. Everybody, yeah, the way I see it is if somebody has a concern, it's, it's a valid concern to them. Yeah, that's true. And it's something that, that me as a... As a um, as a representative of Microsoft, for example, I would take very seriously. I would say, "All right, what is it?" and and have a conversation with them about what's frustrating. Yeah, but it, it doesn't mean that I have to agree with it. I, for example, as soon as I installed Windows Eight, and I've been using it for a long time, obviously uh, before it was even released in GA, it, it it was a change. I remember seeing it. And I was like, "Oh wow, this is massive!" And right. I was like, "Okay, what am I?" You know, I had to kind of get my bearings, and then once I understood the workflow. Yeah, that's it. It just became normal. Right. Once you go through that, pro but you have to learn the shortcuts and you have to learn those things, right? Now, mind you, I, I, I grew up with, my, my first operating system was MS-DOS. Then I went to Windows 3.1. And then Windows, of course, Windows Worker 3.1, which is, you know, it's basically the same thing, but just a little bit better. Right. When Windows 95 came out, that was a radical UI change. Right. And, and people weren't happy with it either. I mean, th there was a reason that Microsoft campaigned as hard as they could about Windows 95. 
And I, I remember that I installed a beta version of Windows 95. And I looked at it and I was like, oh my God. Now, I thought it was beautiful compared to what I had in Windows 3.1. And, but it was still a radical change. I had to sit there and figure out, all right, well, how do I get to my stuff? Yeah. Whereas, yeah. you know, um, and, and it was, it was radical. It was huge. Um, and you know, I, it was, remember, um, what was this, uh, God, IBM, what was IBM's OS? Warp. OS2, OS2 Warp. Yeah. Yeah. OS2 Warp. I had Warp running for, for a little while as well. Back when it looked like Warp actually would be a very big contender yep. to compete with Windows itself. And that was a learning curve. But to me, it was, it was important to learn it because I felt it was a good operating system. When you have change, people are going to have a certain level of discomfort. Yeah. And but if they take the time to actually learn what's how things work, typically they feel a little bit better. I guess the thing that irks me is that the amount of training, let's for lack of a better word, or the amount of work that you have to do to get around in Windows 8 is a fraction, is a is a one percent of the learning that we had to do to to get around in Windows the first time, or even Windows XP or any you know, or or use software that was built in the last 10, 15 years. I mean the, talk about tough that was tough this is easy i just don't see i you know i don't know I, it's disappointing yeah it's disappointing especially you know it, it's one thing to hear pundits just repeat what they've heard you know without touch which is frustrating in its own way but when you have people who are experienced you know and have made their living with windows and stuff come out and, and say that it just really bugs me yep it's tough Anyway, off my soapbox now. What's next for you, Ray Bango? Oh, uh, let's see. Well, this th I think this year I'm going to be doing a lot more conferences. Um, that's something that's really important. Last year, I there was so, such a strong focus, obviously, on Windows 8 that I, I wanted to stay a little bit closer to home. Only traveled to Redmond to support our launch of Windows 8. Right. Um, and, of course, IE10 and things like that. Uh, so I kind of was I, I kind of held back on the travel thing. Yeah. And not only that, on top of that, even more importantly than anything else, was that I had a son last March. Hey, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. So it's like I, it was a dual thing. I wanted to kind of stay home and, and not always be away. It's, it's the life of an evangelist is, isn't always glamorous. I think a lot of people think, oh man, we're, you know, jet setting to different places is great. It's actually not. It, I think if I was single, that might be a little different. But when you have a family, it's, you know, I, I want to be home with my daughters and I want to be home with my son and my wife. And I'm with you. Is this son 1.0? The son is 1.0, yes. All right. Child 1.0? No, no, no. It's uh, child 5.0. Child 5.0. Wow. Congrats to you and, and your wife. So four girls and a boy. Four girls. Poor kid. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, you have no idea how many times I've heard something like that. Oh uh, no! A few years from now, you and the boy are going to be taking a walk every twenty-eight days or so. <laughs> we'll be back in a week. Yeah. See you later. <laughs> oh. All right. Well, anyway, Ray, thank you so much for checking in with us. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, thanks for having me. This has been great. It's been fun. Excellent. All right, and we'll see you next time, dear listener, on the Tablet Show. It's not too much.